welcome to the first episode of Secrets Behind the Music Business. I'm your host, Barry Victor, and today we have a special guest with us by the name of Miss Alexis Kimbrough from Growth Group. Alexis, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, just let me continue to say thank you for being the first official guest. I actually was supposed to have an interview yesterday, but the, the interview we had to reschedule. So you are the first guest which is going to make you a very so nice. important part of the history of this show. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, no problem. I'm honored. Thank you. So um, I just want to get the background of Growth Group first. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So uh, Growth Group is a accounting firm for musicians. So we specifically work with uh, music creators, whether you're a songwriter, whether you're a producer, whether you're an artist. Um, and we also work with record labels and recording studios. So we have taken out a real interest and specialty in music, and that's how we deal with things. So um, we help artists to manage their money um, and make sure that they're making the best financial decisions possible. Nice. So what are some of the ways that you do that? Is that by helping them with taxes? Is that helping them create a budget? What does that actually look like? Sure. So it depends on the person and how involved that they want us to be in the business. So it can be anything from, of course, taxes. A lot of times that's how people find us initially is that they could be several years behind in taxes or they've been going to one of the national chains for a couple of years and they're not sure if they're doing things right or um, they just really want the best tax answer possible. Um, so a lot of times that's where people will start off with us. So we'll start off with um, tax work with them. Um, and a lot of times that branches out into a lot of other services. So everything from, hey, I have tax debt, how do I get that paid off? Or um, how do I catch up to, um, you know, hey, I need help managing my money, help me budget it, help me figure out what to do, help me figure out how to um, make sure that I don't owe this huge amount of taxes at the end of the year. Um, and, you know, that can evolve into everything from, you know, we're writing checks and receiving checks for them to true business management services. So it really depends on the person and how involved that they want us to be. But we do a lot of the um, management and then bookkeeping services as well. Okay. So what are some of the most common mistakes that artists makes when it comes to managing their income from their music business in regards to keeping it? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, what I've seen, okay, so the first mistake I would say is that they don't have a business savings account. Okay. Um, I've seen that from everybody from major artists that I've worked with or major songwriters that I've worked with to completely independent, just starting artists. Um, I would say that every single time that you get paid, you should also be contributing to your savings. So you should not only, you know, it's great that you've started the business and that you have a um, you know, business checking account, but you should also open a savings account at the same time and make sure that each and every time that you get paid that you are also paying yourself by putting aside some money for savings. Um, so that would be one of the one of the biggest mistakes is that I'm seeing is that people aren't contributing anything to savings and then wondering when, hey, I want to, you know, record an album, then they're having to go to GoFundMe or Kickstarter. Um, and, you know, at least you should be able to kickstart your own thing. Um, and then, you know, obviously be able to have other people contribute to your, your crowdfunding campaigns and stuff, et cetera. Do you recommend a certain percentage for whatever they're bringing in? Would you say set aside 10% or 15% into that account? Yeah, um, a lot of times 10 or 15% can be hard starting off. So I would start with somewhere around five. And if you can't do five, start with one. Um, just get into the habit of doing it and you can increase it over time as your income increases. Um, if you're at a point of, you know, a really low income, then it's hard to take 15% of something that's low. It's easier to take 15% of something that's higher. Got it. Okay. Now, I know about the... Um... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You want to say something? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say one of the other mistakes that I often see is that um, people aren't paying their taxes. Um, they're not filing tax returns. Even if you haven't made money, it's still really, really smart to file a tax return. And the reason is because um, a lot of times if you guys are spending a lot of money on 
equipment and recording and all these other things. And it's not expected that you're going to bring in money from day one. So if you um, are still employed full time, um, a lot of times all that money that you're spending on the music business on the side can actually improve your tax situation in the beginning when you're not making anything but spending a lot. So I would say um, one of the, the other mistakes is that people oftentimes are not filing tax returns when they really should. Example, um, I had a client recently um, who came to work with us and had already done their taxes. You know, they were caught up in everything, but they never put the music business on their taxes at all. Um, we went back and, you know, put all of the expenses and everything that they had related to the music business on their tax return. And over a three-year period, it ended up giving them refunds about, of about $7,000. Um, right. And that's the kind of mistakes that they can harm you in the long run when you're not taking advantage of having that business on the side, even if you haven't made a huge amount of money or you know that you made a little bit, but you didn't make as much as you spent. That's okay. I would say it's still file. Okay, so I heard you say three years. How far back can you actually go? Like if people are, when they hear this and they're like, oh man, well, you know, I've been pursuing this for the last five years. And they may still have those receipts or they have some record proof of them spending money on things related to the music business. How far can they go back? Well, you can only get refunds for the last three years. Okay. So you can, yeah, you may have started the business five years ago and you kind of, you know, work yourself out of that. You can still file an amended return, but it's not going to produce a refund for you. Mm -hmm. um, so you can go back three years is the answer. Okay. Great. That's a great tip. Um, so I know that you have zero. I saw that before. But what are some other tangible tools, apps or practices that artists can use to maximize their income and then decrease the expenses? Sure. So Zero is an accounting software that I recommend and that I also use with all of the clients that I work with. Um, that's one of the, the big ones. So what Zero does is helps you to manage how much did I make this month. If you can't answer that question, um, you do need to start doing some type of bookkeeping or spreadsheets or something. Um, how much did I spend this month on anything, whether that be you know vehicles or things like that, anything that you have, you want to make sure that you're keeping track of it. Um, one and zero can help do that. Another tool is called Mile IQ, um, and that is an app for your phone that essentially kind of GPS tracks you. I know it sounds kind of creepy, but um, <laughs> it's for driving, so it'll it'll calculate your miles to and from different places, and you kind of do like a Tinder type thing where you swipe left, swipe right, mm -hmm. um, left is personal, right is business, um, and so when you're driving in your car, it's kind of keeping track of you and then allowing you to you know, swipe left or swipe right at the end of the day or at the end of the month to show you where you've been and what um, what portions of your driving is business-related. And so it makes it a really easy way rather than kind of writing down the date and all this kind of stuff. The app kind of does all of that for you, and you just have to tell it whether it was you driving to the grocery store for your family or whether it was you headed to a gig. Got it. Um, so that would be another one. So zero and mile IQ. Um, and then really those two are going to make the biggest difference for most people um, because if you're tracking your income and your expenses um, then you know for sure what kind of is going on in business and you can take the tax advantages etc or make adjustments um, in terms of decreasing expenses I would say at least probably once a quarter just kind of review your um, accounts and what you're spending on a lot of times we might sign up for monthly subscription services of some type that we don't use um, and we won't even see, you know, you won't even recognize to turn those things off. So I would say to kind of evaluate those things and see if there's other tools that you can use. They don't necessarily have to be free, but there may be things that, that you, uh, fit you better um, long term. So I would just kind of review quarterly or even annually to just see what you're spending in, whether or not those are services that you want to continue to use. Okay. Are there some uh, common things that you come across that people may feel like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that? I could put that on my taxes in regards to music. Yeah, um, for sure. Stuff like Dropbox accounts, um, you know, going to and from different places. A lot of times, one of the surprises is um, like some household items. Like if you have a home office or, um, you know, you've created a studio out of, you know, the second bedroom in your home or something. Um, oftentimes, that, when you think about it, if you were to go rent a um, studio or office space from someone else, there would be a restroom in, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a restroom in your house too. So the toilet paper, the soap, the paper towels, um, all of that kind of stuff can also be written off because that's part of the business. That would be something that would be required. Whether you're, you've got bottled water in the office with a mini fridge, whatever it may be, snacks, et cetera. Some of those things you can think about um, potentially deducting as well. The kind of people leave out of the equation oftentimes. Does it have to be a, a business that people are actually coming to in order for you to write stuff like the bathroom off? Or can it just be you utilizing the space? No, it can just be you. Because um, same thing, if you had an office space that you rented, you know, downtown or whatever, even with you being there, that would be something that you would need to have or that they would have um, in the building. And so you would have to, you know, accommodate that. Even some cleaning fees. Um, a lot of people will sometimes get their house cleaned and things like that. Um, so you can take a portion of those things as well. So essentially, it seems like everything you can write off or add to your taxes, but I'm pretty sure there are some things that you can't. So can you tell us what those are? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest myths, I think, especially in this industry, is that whatever you wear on stage is tax deductible. Mm. And that's one of the things that's kind of far from the truth, because you actually wear that generally um, other times of the year. Um, and so your wardrobe that looks just like your normal wardrobe isn't generally tax deductible. Um, and a lot of times ladies are um, our regular makeup that we bought from the local drugstore does not count as either. Um, if you've got a professional makeup artist, that's a different story, but you just kind of using your everyday makeup for, um, you know, for, you know, for, for, for performing on stage, that doesn't count. Same thing with hair. Um, unless it's, you know, you, you're hiring a, a hairdresser or, a, you know, somebody right before that gig or right before that um, performance, then you're probably not looking at it. So things that are generally personal care. So it's, you know, keeping up your appearance. That's not something that the IRS is going to want to supplement. If you think about it with your employees, you're not going to pay them to get a haircut. So um, it would kind of go the same exact way unless there's something specific that they have to wear on stage or it's, um, you know, a uniform of some type or a costume, then those things would potentially be tax deductible. But anything that you wouldn't pay for, let's say, your backup musician, you wouldn't pay for his haircut or your keyboardist or your background singer's hairdo, then those are things that you can't typically deduct for yourself either. Okay, that's a good one to know because I was under that perception as well. I had heard that idea before out there. Okay. Right, yeah. And because this is geared specifically towards independent artists, a lot of independent artists are usually their own record label and their own publisher. So my next question is, do you have to fill out different tax forms if you yourself are the songwriter, the artist, label, the publisher, and et cetera? Or should you combine all of your music-related income on one tax form? Or are those separate entities? Mm. Yeah, um, it depends on where you are in your career. So if you're just starting out and you are everything, the songwriter, the artist, the label, the publisher, et cetera, um, and you're making under six figures, I would say combine them. Once you start to get to the point to where you're making above that amount, then I would definitely say we need to talk about tax planning and what that might look like for potentially separating some of those things out um, to create a different tax structure. But at the beginning, the cost of being able to do all of that tax planning and um, and the administrative work, whether that be with state you know different um, state registrations and creating different businesses and having you know different Uh, tax forms that are due for each one, the compliance of that and the cost of doing all of that when you haven't made a ton yet um, probably isn't going to make sense. So I would say that anything music related, whether it be you as a songwriter, you as the artist, the label, the publisher, or even if you're selling merchandise, all of those things probably should be combined until you, you know, until you're making probably at least $100,000 or more. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Um, The next question do you run the risk of inappropriately filing your taxes and losing money or owing more money if you don't work with an advisor who specifically specializes in music such as yourself or can you work with any general tax advisor and are they qualified to handle this industry um they're technically qualified but they i would say they're inexperienced so um last year uh we had a band come to us and they said hey this i won't name names i won't you know i won't trash anybody today um but 
Um, one of the national companies that you probably see commercials for or Facebook ads for um, had done their taxes the previous year and told them that they couldn't write off the band's van. Um, and so they tour in this van, mm. and that van has cost them, let's say, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Well, not taking that type of a deduction is huge, you know. So you're essentially not being able to write off something that you paid for specifically for business. This wasn't like it was the you know bass players, um, you know, van, and they were just using it. No, they had purchased this as a band together. Um, and so sometimes they do things like that that don't really make sense. Um, for this industry. And so because they don't have an understanding and experience with music industry specifically, then you're probably going to end up owing more taxes or paying more taxes than you should. Same thing with um, the client that I spoke about earlier today with you, um, where they had done their own taxes, once again, using one of those national companies and decided because they knew they didn't quote unquote make money or they had spent more than they made, they decided not to include the business on their taxes. And so, as I said, they, you know, we got them back somewhere between six and $7,000. And think about that. That's money that they lost or that they didn't have. Right. Um, they were paying more taxes than they should have over that time period. So who doesn't want another six or seven thousand dollars? Right. And you know, I can't say results are typical or anything like that. But um, when you're not including your business on um, on your taxes, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. Okay. So I, I guess I would say, yeah, definitely go definitely go ahead and work with somebody who has a, a specialty in music that they've done this before, um, and that I would even say that the majority of their clients are in this arena. Right. Which leads to my next question. Like, how easy is it to find somebody who specializes in this field? Because you seem like one of the leaders in this field that actually specialize in music specifically. Like, I don't see a lot of people out there on the Internet or just walking down the street. I see, you know, a H&R block, but for musicians. You know, I, I just don't see that on an everyday basis. Right. Like, are they out there in abundance? <laughs> I wouldn't say abundance um, because obviously there's a million different industries that people could work in. So a lot of other accountants might, or tax practitioners might work in construction or they might work in, you know, with dentists and doctors, et cetera. So, you know, there's different specialties that people can have. So what I would say, I mean, if you're millennial or a little bit older or younger, I would just say probably our best bet is to Google it and you'll probably find me in the top five. Um, okay. But one of the things that I've noticed and, and um, you know, as a millennial myself, what I've realized is that a lot of the older people who have been doing this for 30 plus years that mm -hmm. are, you know, they've been doing this longer than I've been alive. They don't necessarily have a great internet presence. So they're not, not necessarily all that easy to find. It's not that they don't exist. Um, and so, you know, that's been one part of me being able to carve out, you know, this niche with, with the people who I work with now is because I'm now easy to find online. Um, but that being said, most small towns, most cities, unless you're in Nashville, LA, New York, you're, you may, maybe Atlanta, you may not find that type of a professional easily. Um, you're probably going to end up finding somebody like myself who can work with you from wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And that's just because the scene isn't back that big in those other areas. Right, exactly. So there's an abundance of people who I've, I'm sure who, who have worked with hundreds of musicians every year that are in the LA and I wouldn't even say LA, I just say California, California, New York, um, Tennessee, you know, specifically Nashville. So if they're in, if you live in one of those areas, I'm sure you could probably walk down the street and find somebody who's worked with several other musicians. Um, and, you know, that could be a good bet if you're one of those people that wants to, you know, be in person with your tax advisor. Uh, myself, I work with people all over the country and also a couple people, um, one in China. Oh, no, I've got two in China and um, a couple in um, in Canada. So we've got some all over the world, literally. And I do all of that for my office in Atlanta. Oh, nice. Now, what you do, can someone that's a business manager, because I, I want to know exactly what your title is are you considering yourself a business manager a tax advisor and an accountant and are all of those different titles able to do what you do or is there specifically one of those that people need to go to sure good question i encompass all of those titles um but it because for some people i'm not their business manager some of them just hire me to do their taxes so that's why i kind of use 
um, all of those different titles depending on where I am and what type of a relationship that I have with with the artist or the songwriter, et cetera. Um, but yes, I am a business manager. Not all business managers can actually do taxes for you. They might hire out someone to do them for you. They're more so managing um, the financial aspects. So some financial managers more so kind of manage all of the people who are tied to your financial situation. So they might find you an attorney. They might find you an accountant. They might find you a um a financial advisor that can help you with stock investing and all that kind of stuff, um, a, wealth, a wealth manager, they may tie you to all those people and they manage those relationships. Um, and so that's some of what business managers do as an accountant. Um, you know, that person is normally responsible for um, like bookkeeping type stuff, um, strategic things regarding your finances, et cetera. And then of course your tax advisor is exactly that. They're advising you on tax strategies and, uh, making sure your tax returns get filed, et cetera. Um, and the, so the business manager kind of encompasses all that and manages that process. So depending on the client, I'm kind of all of those things. Okay. So for someone that doesn't have a large budget, what would you recommend to them to have on their team first? Right. Um, I would definitely say the tax advisor first. Okay. Um, mainly because that person can kind of give you enough insight about these other areas um, and how you can handle those on your own, but they're also going to be able to want, they're going to be the one that's probably going to make the bis- biggest financial impact for you when you don't have a large budget. Okay. Now, just hearing you saying you're working with people in all of these different countries, do you find that there is a trend based on location that people are making more money? Say if you're in China, more artists are making money from licensing if you're in America, some people are making more money from doing jingles or some areas are just more from touring. Do you find any type of trends based on genres or locations? Uh, I can't say that I do. Um, the majority of people are earning income in probably five different categories. Um, performing services, whether that's you as an audio engineer, whether that's you performing literally on stage. Um from products, so merchandising, you know, T-shirts, CDs, et cetera. Um, obviously, publishing is one. Um, and then, obviously, um, with the bigger people, um, partnership between them and other people. So um, sponsorships, et cetera. Um, so that would be kind of the four blocks that we type, typically see that people are earning income in. Um, and it's not necessarily tied to a specific area. So it really just depends on how you've set up your business structure and what your thing is. I've seen some people who make so much money from, you know, their products. They make so much more money from, you know, the actual products. Other people make a ton of money from performances. Um, Some people's main thing is publishing and they're in there, you know, they've got sync placements and et cetera. So it really just depends on how, you know, how you want to make money and where you've positioned yourself within the industry. Okay. So in in regards to, the people you work with that are major artists versus independent. I'm assuming that when you say you see people make a lot of money from merchandising and a lot making money from shows, I'm assuming that the shows would be more for the major artists and maybe the merchandise is a big winner for the independent artists or where do you see the areas to be most lucrative for independent artists? Um, Actually, most, most uh, independent artists are both, both. Major and independent, they earn, everybody earns a whole lot from performances, okay. generally. The majority of their income, not necessarily the independent artist income versus some, the major artist income. More so that, like, if I'm looking at one independent artist, the majority of their income a lot of times is coming from performances, if they perform. Um, some artists don't perform. They're songwriters, so they have a different type of income level. So it just kind of depends, really. Um, but I would say for artists who are kind of doing everything, like you were saying, they're the songwriter, the artist, the label, the publisher, generally speaking, they're earning the most from being the artist um, and, you know, performing whether locally or nationally. So working with all these different types of people, have you found any keys that will help them in regards to getting paid? Because I know a lot of artists that are, they have the promoters that are having them pay for slots or pay to perform. And so when I'm hearing you say uh, that's a large part of an independent artist's income, that's something that I don't necessarily hear a lot. So I wonder if there are 
different tiers and levels that maybe you're speaking about that some independent artists haven't even reached yet and how do they get there to the point where they're getting paid? Sure. Um, I think it starts with the decision to only do certain gigs. Um, You have to, of course, you can always do free gigs later if you want, but I would always let people know what your budget is or ask them what their budget is to have you perform. If they want you to pay to perform, you may do that a couple times when you're first starting out, but after, I wouldn't say do more than 10 of those in your career to where you have to pay to perform. Um, because after, think about it, after 10 performances that you've paid for, you should have garnered up enough interest or, um, you know, notoriety or fandom, if you will, to where you are seeing, you know, even if they're small gigs where someone can pay you something, if they want you to perform at a, um, you know, a local breakfast and and sing the national anthem, maybe that's something that you can negotiate. Um, I do have, there's a, a, a blog post that I posted on my website, growthgroup.com, where I talk about how to get maximum exposure from a free gig that you're doing. I'm aware of that. I actually watched it. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I did a Facebook Live, I think, with that. Um, And I think that the tips that I provided there make a whole lot of sense so that you're getting something. Maybe it's not monetary compensation, um, but think about like the old days with like bartering. It's almost like that where you're, you're deciding, okay, what type of value do I need? Do I need, you know, high quality video or photo or something like that to help me out? So being able to say, okay, are, if you can't provide me money, maybe you can provide me one of these other things. Um, so, you know, kind of bartering in that regard might be a really good idea for you if it's going to help you to further your career. Um, In terms of getting those, uh, getting opportunities, I would say just to remember that there's opportunities all around you, Um, particularly with that blog post and what I was speaking about. I was at at a networking event and I introduced myself as a music accountant or the music money mentor. Mm -hmm. And um, someone said, oh, well, do you know any singers? And I'm like, yeah, of of course I do. (laughs) Um, And they're like, okay, well, we need somebody to sing the national anthem for this, um, for this breakfast that we're, that our company is having. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, sure. I know what's the budget is the one of the first questions, because that tells me whether you want a major artist or whether you want an independent artist or what type of an event is it. So get as many details about the event as possible. And, um, Remember, literally, I wasn't going there looking for an opportunity for one of my artists, but mm-hmm. I found it. So, you know, remember to, you know, when you are in different settings, um, people may ask you for different things. Can you perform for a birthday party or, uh, you know, a wedding or this or that? And so you do always want to make sure that you ask the budget question and keep your mind open to things outside of just the biggest local venue that you guys have in your area. Remember that there are weddings and, and corporate events and all types of other opportunities that exist um, outside of just performing at um, at clubs or you know um, venues and concert halls, etc. Mm-hmm. So, how was someone going about getting a corporate event type of gig? Um, like I said, that's really based off of um, you know your potential relationships. Really, it's a it's about um, networking and kind of getting yourself out there. Um, I've seen people who find gigs and stuff on Craigslist. Um, so it's really about kind of looking around and seeing what what's going on in your area, being aware, maybe getting the classified ads or something. And, you know, really, it's a it's a scrappy hustle in the beginning um, and keeping that in mind that, you know, no one's above, you know, too much at the start of their career. So if you want to, you know, really get your name out there and start to let people hear your talent, um, you know, your biggest fear should be that people never hear you right. rather than whether or not they're li- they'll like you. And so if you operate based off of that, you'll you'll try to be heard. Mm-hmm. Great. Those are great tips. I don't know if that answers. I don't have any specific answers um, in terms of how to get a corporate gig. But um, literally, like I said, the, the networking event. I mean, it's the hustle. That's what I'm getting for. Like, you just have to put yourself out there. You have to go find them. You have to go get them. Right. And I mean, and really just introducing yourself as who you want to be. So I'm, I introduce myself as who I am, which is the music money mentor, a music accountant. Well then, because I say that people are already drawn to, Oh, well, I know this person who does this and this, and they start to connect dots for you. When you come into a a situation, let's say that you're still full working full time in something that's not music related. 
um, instead of introducing yourself as your job and what you do now, introduce yourself as what you're trying to do, which is you, oh, I'm an audio engineer or full-time audio engineer, or I'm a, um, a songwriter, or I'm an artist, or I'm, you know, a label executive, whatever it is, that way people will begin to associate you with what it is that you have going on on the side, if you will, um, as opposed to what you're doing now, and that's not allowing you opportunities to further your side business. Right. It's kind of putting them on notice. So when an opportunity comes around, they can think about you because you've already mentioned that to them. Right. Exactly. Okay. So are there any organizations or societies that you recommend that people be a part of? Like I know for songwriters, they have ASCAP and BMI for uh, artists and labels. They have sound exchange. What are some other things out there that artists, songwriters and musicians should affiliate themselves with in order to get more opportunities or to make sure that they're collecting all of the income that they're owed? Yeah, so I would say definitely make sure that you join your local um, recording academy Grammy chapter. Um, there are local chapters. Um, and a lot of times getting involved with that, there are so many opportunities. Um, one of my clients is like the president of a local chapter um, up north. And it's just important. Um, she knows everybody in that area and it's, it's regional. So it's not just necessarily, you know, per state or anything like that, but you can definitely get active in things like that. Um, see if there's local um, music societies of some type. Um, like here in Georgia, we have something called Georgia music partners. Um, and there's all types of people who are in the industry, whether they're songwriters, artists, publishers, um, lawyers, accountants, you know, just music advocates in general. So see if there's um, some type of advocacy um, groups. I know in the Washington, D.C. area, they have uh, Washington Lawyers for the Arts. Um, so there's so many different organizations that you can kind of align yourself with, and they know people who you don't know and can start to connect you um, based off of, you know, what one person or the other person needs. Okay. For uh, artists or labels, are there opportunities for them to get grants, like government-funded grants to maybe start a record label or to help them put together their own album? Or have you come across any of those opportunities working with different artists? Absolutely. Um, I Because I originally lived in the D Washington, D.C. area, um, a lot of my original clients came from that area, and that is one hot area that I've seen where um, funding for the arts is, is very well done. And I've had clients who have received multiple thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in um, grant money that they don't have to pay back um, from, you know, the local areas, from the local government in order to produce a certain type of work. So um, whether that be an album um, and you make those things publicly available. I know Georgia also has something very, very similar. The city of Atlanta um, has something similar. So, yeah, I would say to look into your state, look into your city, look into your county and see what type of um, grant opportunities that they do have for the arts. Um, and that doesn't just go for music artists, that goes for visual artists as well. So a lot of times when you're in a city and you see murals painted on the side of buildings and stuff like that, that was all grant funded. So what's a good search for that? Just type in art funded grants. Yeah, I would just say grant grants for the arts in your city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, if we were to take, uh, say you had a step-by-step -step program, if you're trying to get a, an artist or even a songwriter who's looking for a publishing deal or just looking to get to the next step, if you had a step program, what would you do in order to take that client from a nine to five to making a livable income in their music career? Yeah, um, good question. And I think this is how you might have found me, I'm not sure. Um, I have a program called the Just Do Music program um, that you can join. Um, and what I do is walk you through the steps that are going to get you started with that. So the premise is that you're wanting to quit the nine to five job or, you know, I don't care. You might be working a seven to seven job, whatever it may be. You're doing something that's not full time music and that's what you want to be doing. And so um, you really have to have a plan. There's been several artists that I've helped go from nine to fives to full time music stuff and they're now doing six figures plus now the reason is because they were very very focused 
Um, they had a plan in place. They knew exactly what was going on in their business. They were managing their money appropriately. They were saving because that's extremely important. So all of those different things that we're ta- that we've talked about today um, definitely play into you know clients going from a nine to five to to just doing music and um, the process uh, is kind of five parts and a couple of the parts definitely have to do with one another. And they're also, we're also trying to make sure that you aren't burning out because you need time for, you know, both of the things and you want to do everything excellently. So um, I would definitely say to, you know, to at least for that question, I would definitely say to, um, to get on, get online, go to growthgroup.com and sign up for the Just Do Music program. Um, And that way you can have a, a plan for how you're going to go forward. These are the the first steps that you're going to need to do if you truly, and this is the beginning of 2018. So a lot of people's goal might be, Oh, I want to quit my job by the end of 2018 or, you know, within 18 months or two years. And this will give you the kickstart that you need in order to be able to to accomplish that goal. Mm -hmm. So do you actually sit down and um, make a budget for that person? Is that, is that what you do on your end? Like they give you all the information and you say, okay, this is what we're going to do step by step. And if you follow these steps, then we'll get you where you're trying to go. Uh, I wouldn't, it's not that specific. Um, but yes, um, and if you work with me one-on-one, um, that's definitely something that we're going to have to go over because, um, any of your income from your nine to five, um, you also want to be able to, to be your biggest investor in your music career. So you're going to want to make enough space in your nine to five income budget, right, from your day job to be able to save up in order to help boost your own music career. Um, So that's going to be part of what we talk about. And budgeting is a big part of it for sure. Mm -hmm. Are some of the keys to making this a reality, would you say it's it's discipline for those who have, they've came to you about wanting to do a music career full time, but then they still haven't transitioned it. Is it because they lack the discipline or they're not as motivated or passionate about the career? What are some of the things that don't allow people to cross over? Oh, good question. Um, what allow not to? Okay. So one thing is that you don't follow through with the plan. So we come up with a plan. Let's say, Hey, you're going to do this, 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 and this. And they're like, mm, okay, good. Yes, I'm motivated today. But they're not looking at the next week and next month and next quarter and trying to keep that momentum up. So it, you have to be consistent. And consistency is the biggest thing is that what I, what I see is that people will be really excited. Oh, Alexis, I have this idea and yada, da, da, da. But they don't take the very next step in their process because they're trying to get from A to Z overnight almost and you have b through y that have to be done as well and so you have the idea at a at step a but you never get to doing step b or if you do b then you never get to c or whatever and so you're not taking the very next step you're seeing this pie in the sky um or this big shiny object at the end of the road but not taking the necessary actions to go to the very next step and not trying to go too far ahead of yourself Um, Because that's when people start spending unnecessary money and, you know, end up in deals that they don't like and end up, you know, wasting money with people that promise them that pie in the sky at the end without realizing that there's steps in the process and being able to go through the process um, and being patient enough, consistently patient Mm -hmm. is what I would say, um, is that you kind of have to be consistent, creating actionable steps and doing them. Um, but also realizing that it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, I started my business in 2009. Um, I didn't quit for four years. Mm, So my, my story, you know, it's, it's like, but when I really, really got into it and I made a definitive decision, like, okay, I know this is what I'm going to do. And I want to do this within the next year. um, That's when the wheels really started turning. So I was kind of dabbling in business before that. Um, And, you know, then it's like, okay, when I finally started putting steps in order, A, B, C, D, um, it took off pretty quickly. Okay. So if there were a, a hard number that you can say, I've consistently seen this number, like maybe 50,000 or 20,000 before people actually said, okay, I'm going to take this leap and I'm going to do it full time. What would be the closest number that you can associate with, with the people that you work with that allow them to go and transition to being a full-time artist? 
how much were they making annually, you mean? No, like how much were their savings? Because you said the savings is the most important part before they actually quit the job. So would okay. you say you need to have at least 50000 saved or is it even that much? Is it 15000 and then you have the infrastructure yeah. set up to go and get the money? Right. right. So I, would, I wouldn't say 50. I think that's kind of high. Um, most of most of them have at least 10. Okay. Um, I had about 18 when I jumped. Okay. And the the reason being is that you want enough to cover yourself for emergencies or if the income isn't coming in the way you expected. However, one thing I would say is to make sure that you are making enough before you jump, make sure that you're making enough to cover your bills before you jump. So if your bills are $2,000 a month, your business needs to be making at least $2,000 a month before you quit. Um, and, and you need to have the savings. So, um, and, but that way, when you do become full time, your you, your primary goal is to increase the income that you're making from your music business. But it gives you a little bit of a buffer. You know that you already have enough to cover, you know, your monthly household, your rent, your utilities, your car payment, yada da. Um, and 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 that's exactly what I did. I had my essentially. I knew how much I needed to cover all my bills and made sure that I had enough for that. A lot of times at your day job, you're probably actually making more than you need for bills. Um, So it may not be that total, but but I would definitely say to get pretty darn close to what you're making now um, so that you're comfortable, but at the same time, making sure that you have um, enough savings. I'd probably, you know, for the majority of people, I'd probably say about 10,000 or so. And like I said, that might take you some time to get there, um, but you want to be your biggest investor and how you do that is through saving with your nine to five. Right. Okay. So do you assess the artist's career at that point that they come to you and you say, oh, well, you're only putting out music and maybe you should think about putting out merchandise and maybe you should think about touring. Maybe you should think about licensing. Are those things that you do with each client in order to make sure that they're maximizing their potential income? For sure. And we also make sure that you're not, um, or that you're maximizing the area that you're good at. Cause I don't want to spread you too thin. So if you're not, you know, there's no point in you putting out t-shirts. If you're, if your fans don't wear t-shirts, you know, there's, it, it's just a waste of money. So you'd rather, Hey, and you know, maybe, you know, you don't have to follow industry standard anymore. Everybody can create their own um, lane. And let's say that instead of releasing albums, you, you release 12 singles throughout a year. Um, then that would be perfectly fine. Maybe you just restructure what you're doing. Maybe you do something different. So it's more so about enhancing uh, the pricing that you have, you know, enhancing the the services that you're already providing to people. Um, And a lot of times even potentially increasing your pricing. A lot of times I've seen where, yeah, you started off when you were first doing gigs, you started doing gigs at $150. But at this point, once you've decided you want to be full time, $150, $150, man, how many gigs are you going to have to do in order a month in order to make a living doing that, right? right. So you're going to have to increase your pricing. Maybe you go from 125 or 150 to 300 right? Um, and see where that takes you, you know, take some risks in pricing and, and making sure that you're, you know, earning enough because that's going to be your, your bread and butter. That's going to be what, what pays the bills at home um, going forward. So are you closely involved with helping them find those opportunities before they leap over? Like if someone is good at doing shows, are you saying, okay, this is what you need to do to get more shows or this is what you need to do in order to sell more merch? No, I don't specifically say this is, yeah, not necessarily. I have some advice about that, but that's not my cup of tea specifically. I'm not helping with marketing and how to get shows or anything like that. Um, That's, you know, that's part of your grind. That's part of your hustle in terms of getting shows. Now, helping you price them, yes, Um, but not necessarily the, you know, who do I reach out to? It's not, I don't necessarily know who who's best for you. I don't follow local venues in your area. That's, that's part of you being the business owner and making sure that you do those parts. Um, now I can give you kind of a, a roadmap, if you will, that there are people that you need to contact. You need to decide who those people are. Right. And then by the time we talk the next time, make sure you've reached out to three of them. So that's kind of more so the, the role that I might take in something like that. Um, but no, I'm not specifically telling you like, who you know who to reach out to or how to get this gig you know how to get this uh venue to pick you up that's not my that part's not my expertise okay well so do you recommend once someone hits a price that they've never hit before 
should they stick to that price or how negotiable should that process be? Say someone you're working with, like you mentioned earlier, they're making 150 bucks normally, but then they go do a show and they got paid 400 or 500 bucks. Do you now say, okay, so we know that you're worth this or someone's willing to pay this. Now don't go below that price or would that make it harder because everybody's not willing to pay that price? Yeah, you have to be willing. You have to decide what you're willing or not willing to do. So, you know, if if you need to pay buy groceries for the week and somebody offers you $150 for a gig, I would not tell you to turn them away, right? Because you need groceries. So there's no there's no um, hard and fast rule where you have to do it this way. Um, you know, obviously you want to start off with my price is X, right? You need to have a price. Now the person can negotiate with you. We all negotiate, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you should have a definitive price. When somebody says, oh, well, how much do you charge? Your first answer should not be, uh, <laughs> you see what I mean? So you, you should have an idea of what your um, minimum is. So you should have a minimum to what you're, um, what you're starting with um, and then let them know that it goes up from there depending on different factors, right? Um, and they say, oh, $500, like we can't do 500. We, can, we were thinking more like three. Right. And at that point, you can what I would say is that you remove some of the value potentially. Okay, well, I can do three, but because it's an out of town spot, I'd have to, you know, I can do 300, but you guys would have to book a night for the hotel for me. You see what I mean? So you you can negotiate based off of what, you know, whatever's needed or, you know, whatever it is that you might need. Hey, you know, yeah, I, I could do three, but in order to do three, I would need X along with that. So it could be whatever it is that you decide it might need to be. It kind of cancels out the things that you have to come out of pocket for. Yeah. Sometimes people will negotiate flight, hotel, you know, hotel arrangements, et cetera. Um, I've even done that. Um, I have a speaking gig coming up in the next couple of months where they didn't have the budget for what I typically charge to speak. So, okay, well, you guys can pay for the flight and the hotel and the travel expenses, et cetera. And essentially it kind of, exactly, they're not paying me cash, but they're taking away some of the things that I would have had to pay for. Um, it could even be, you know, something like I've, like I said on uh, com where I was talking about getting the maximum exposure from a free gig. It doesn't even have to be a free gig. It could be just that the person can't pay what your typical minimum is. And so you ask for one of these other things. Oh, you're going to have a photographer there. Well, can I get some high quality photos of my performance? It could be something like that. So, um, you know, to where you, you're able to now, instead of you hiring a, a photographer for something, you now have some images to use on your social media or something like that. Um, so just be creative with it. It doesn't always have to be cash money. Of course, we, we'd like that. But um, keep in mind that there are other ways that you can kind of negotiate if they can't come up with your, your full minimum. Got it. But I would just let them know that they're getting a discount. Make sure that they know that this isn't your typical, you know, your typical price. So next time they reach out, that'll be in the back of their mind. Right, exactly. Okay. So I know I've been asking a lot of the questions, uh, but I want you to be able to give some tips and some advice on what you think are the most important things that we should be considering as artists, songwriters, or anyone in the music business. What are some tips that you follow all the time or that you've seen work consistently? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, consistent our consistency and patience um, are the two things that I would definitely say to have consistency in saving money. So when you earn that $500 because you upped your prices, you know, put aside 50 of it, right. Um, consistently. So each time you get paid, make sure that you're contributing to your savings and it's going to be, it's going to be a act of patience in order for you to get enough money in that savings account to feel comfortable jumping from your day job. But if you're consistent and you're patient, it'll happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the same thing with your career and with, um, you know, even with gigs or, you know, sync placements or whatever it is that you may do, getting new clients, et cetera. Um, you have to be consistent with reaching out. You have to be ca- consistent with creating content. You have to be consistent with, um, you know, reaching out to those potential people who could um, help you out. And when you do that, of course, it's going to, it could take six months. It could take eight months. Um, but that patience aspect matters as well. And so um, I would definitely say to um, to be consistent with everything that goes along with your career, um, but also be patient and realize that nothing happens overnight just because you see somebody, oh, somebody got discovered on YouTube. Yeah, but how long, how long have they been posting YouTube videos? 
I'm sure it wasn't their first one. Right. Um, and, you know, that's that's rarely ever, probably never the case. Um, same thing with, you know, songs or that you hear on the radio, oh, this new artist, you know, was discovered overnight. Not really. They've probably been creating music for 10 years. You just haven't heard of them before. Um, so, yeah, I would just say to be consistently saving. Um, and if you're feeling like you can't save, look at a couple of your expenses and decide what you can kind of get rid of. Decide to only do the, the necessities, if you will. Consistently um, make sure that you're taking money from your day job and um, putting that aside to invest in your music career. And, um, yeah, I would just say be patient with the process because nothing happens overnight. Great tips. Oh, I got one last question before I let you go. So if someone comes to work with you, uh, how typically does that relationship last or how long do you think someone needs to work with you before they actually branch out? Is this like a six month type of thing or a few months or is it just depends on where that person is financially? It depends on where they are financially and career wise. I, you know, the shortest period of time that someone worked with me in terms of specifically the going from the nine to five to full-time music career was about 12 months. That's the shortest amount of time okay. that we've worked together. Um, because like I said, it's not an overnight process. Um, it's going to take a year. It's going to take, and it, it really that depends on how much income you have um, from the nine to five, meaning how much can you put aside, et cetera, that matters. Um, and how much you're earning already, you know, before we talk, um, before we start working together from your music portions as well. Uh, otherwise, um, if you're working with me, for example, right now, tax season is about to start up. So um, a lot of times that's a, a process that, you know, could happen in a month. We could start working together today and we'd be done by mid-February, right, mm -hmm. um, with the tax return aspects. And then if there's other things you want to work with, then that relationship could be longer. So generally speaking, we work with people at least for several, several years, um, even people who just do taxes with us. Um, they've been on a, you know, been working with us for multiple years. Okay. So for someone who's in another state and say they have all these receipts saved up, is that just a process where they mail them to you or how does it work? Yeah. So, um, to get more information about working with me in terms of taxes and stuff, certainly reach out to me at growthgroups.com. However, I'll answer that question. Um, no, we're not receiving any paper receipts in the mail. Um, for the most part, what we're going to do is have you either um, kind of categorize that stuff. Okay, all of these are McDonald's receipts, so all of that goes into meals, or all of this is gas, so that goes into fuel. Um, add those up and give us a number. Um, otherwise, we would end up into end up in a bookkeeping sort of a relationship or a catch-up where we'd have to kind of get that information and compile all of it. So you probably didn't pay all that stuff in cash. It probably came from a bank account. So we might get access to those things um, so that we can see better what's going on and make sure we maximize your deductions and things like that. Great. Well, thank you so much, Alexis. I appreciate you for being on the show. Can you let people know where they can find you at and how they can get in contact with you? Sure. Um, you can find me at info at growthgroup.com. That's the email address. Um, or you can reach out to me directly at the website at growthgroup.com. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff, but all that stuff is at growthgroup as well. Okay, sounds great. Well, I look forward to working with you in the future, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Me too. Thank you. Thanks for having me.